0: I'm Ryan, and I'm here again with our special guest, August. August, why don't you introduce yourself again with your name and your pronouns? And just because we're going to talk about them a little bit, your character's name and your character's pronouns.
1: Uh, Hi, I'm August. Uh, my pronouns are they, them, and I played Sabi, whose pronouns were also they, them, and they were otherwise known as the Mothman.
0: And I love them. You did such a good <laughs> job with them. So I threw a few different ideas at you for things we could play, and you already had the rules to I Kiss Mothman Behind the Arby's. Yes. Have you played it a lot before?
1: No. Um, I've wanted to play it for a while. Um, I just never got around to it, so my secret is I have... A very large folder of uh, GMless and two-player games. Unfortunately, I don't always get around to playing anything in a timely fashion.
0: <laughs> I mean, I get that. My experience is primarily Dungeons and Dragons with some Call of Cthulhu thrown in there. Mm-hmm. Part of why I was so excited about this new format is that it meant I could play new games. So I'm glad that this was a first for both of us.
1: Yeah, it was really fun.
0: Yeah. Um. Did you know from when I brought it up that you wanted to stick with Mothman, or was that a more recent decision?
1: I pretty much decided I wanted to play Mothman, uh, just because I love Mothman. What's how can you go wrong with a very large moth person? <laughs> and like you mentioned, the Mothman prophecies. Uh, I've watched that movie uh, several times. Uh, when I was a bit younger, closer to when it came out, and I have the book, and uh, I lived in West Virginia for a little bit. I never actually made it up to Point Pleasant to see the statue in person, but, you know, it's part of the local lore and stuff, so.
0: I I would love to go see that statue in person. I know, I know. <laughs> With Sabi, you leaned a little bit more towards antenna twitches, and sometimes more... Alien noises, but a lot of it was through those antenna twitches. Was that something you had also thought about ahead of time, or was that kind of organic in the moment?
1: It was something I thought about a little bit ahead of time. One of the things that I enjoy about characters who aren't human is like exploring the ways in which they try to communicate that may not be necessarily legible to a human. So, other body language, you have different limbs, so your body language is going to look a little bit different, that kind of thing.
0: You sneak mating dances into your greetings. Mm-hmm. 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 <laughs> I I loved Sabi so much while we were playing, and I am definitely going to end up doodling art of Monica and Sabi. It's going to happen.
1: Please Please be sure to ping me when it happens, because I love them and they deserve to be happy together.
0: Yes, I will. And, you know, just to throw it out there, if people do decide to do fan art of this episode, do you have a Twitter account?
1: Uh, yes. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at HarpyDora. Um, as you may have guessed, like, Monstrous Creatures is kind of part of my brand at this point, so...
0: It's a good brand. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. One of the things that I really wanted to focus on when coming up with a new format is having queer people be the focus. Would you be open to talking about how you figured out your identity and became comfortable with it?
1: It was one of those things I remember when I was like 14 or so. I remember watching Revolutionary Girl Utena, um, which is a really interesting anime. I don't know how well it holds up now, um, but I still have a lot of fondness for it. Uh, And the main character is... It's never explicitly stated that she's queer, but she's definitely coded as like potentially... Being, you know, having a case of the genders, and she's definitely <laughs> like she. 100%... I'm sorry, I never heard.
0: That. <laughs> I'm sorry, you were at a case of the genders before I so rudely interrupted. <laughs> no, you're
1: fine. And like the the main relationship in the in the series is between her and uh another girl, and it's more than just gals being pals. Like they do explicitly kiss. And at that point, it's like, oh, so, you know, you you know, same-sex things do happen. And then I promptly was like, that's a problem for future August, and (laughs) repressed it for many years. A lot of my journey has been on the internet and finding things and being like, you know, man, I wish I wish I were bi. Man, I wish I were trans. And then it's like, wait a minute. If you say these things, you probably are. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I don't identify as uh, bisexual these days. I think that uh, my orientation has shifted a bit as I've gotten older and I've learned about like compulsory heterosexuality and that kind of thing. But you know, at the time for a, for the longest time that was how I identified. You know, at the time it fit me well enough, so
0: gender and sexuality is really interesting like yeah. that the way that it can kind of shift. I didn't realize that I was queer until college. I didn't have any frame of reference growing up. I mentioned this in my first interview episode with Zoe, I think. Uh she's our composer for mm-hmm. our theme music. But when I was growing up, there were no positive examples of queer folk. And sometimes there were rumors about some girls being bi, but it was never in a kind light. And it was always rumors. It was never outright acknowledged. Mm -hmm. So getting to college, and there's at least six different queer groups at my college, at least at the time, I was able to be like, oh, this is a thing i'm gonna realize i'm a part of this thing in about six to seven months got it
1: (laughs) yeah yeah fan fiction was kind of formative for me too especially and i hate i hate admitting this because like looking back on it it was it it was really not great but like the you know yaoi and Mm -hmm. Yuri that kind of thing. Like, I hate those terms, and I hate the kind of, like, fetishistic kind of style that they evoke, but, like, you know, it was it was part of realizing, oh, you know, there's something else going on here, so.
0: Yeah, I, I can definitely see the hesitation now with Yaoi and Yuri. I think, for me, if a Western artist were to... Portray relationships with those kinds of tropes, I would be a lot more bothered. Mm-hmm. But when it comes from someone in an Eastern culture, it it feels more like there's a cultural difference here that I don't understand fully, and I'm just gonna roll with it to enjoy the story. Mm-hmm. I don't know; it's tricky.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of cultural differences between like what a Western. Uh, what a Western audience would expect based on that term versus what uh, an East Asian individual would expect based on that term so like Western quote unquote Yaoi and Yuri uh, I don't think have terribly much in common with their roots anymore but also it's been a hot minute since I've read anything that was labeled Mm Yaoi or Yuri so
0: yeah I don't read as much manga as i would like i tend to stray more towards anime because i can lay down and binge it for several (laughs) hours and my adh adhd brain is just like ah yes pretty pictures that move i'm gonna stay here Mm -hmm.
1: you're valid
0: (laughs) i i think i think part of what i've found enjoyable about those kinds of themes especially in we're gonna get a little bit more into some not personal but it's not something that i would tell my mom i watch right Mm -hmm. and she doesn't listen to podcasts so i'm safe (laughs) but monster musume i think is how it's pronounced
1: oh the one with all the monster girls
0: oh my gosh yes it's so cute but it's also like really etchy and for listeners who aren't Familiar with that term. It's ECCHI and it means sexual, but as a joke, I guess is the best way to put it. Like the sexual encounters are kind of a punchline more than a goal. And I love that show. All of the characters are really cute. And yes, it's a harem anime, but the main character is such a dork who is only drawn as an attractive young man when the girls are fawning over something cool he maybe accidentally did <laughs> that it, i'm totally okay with it yeah so i don't know it's-
1: i've i've heard of it but haven't watched it it it's i know it's something that's right up my alley because of my interest in like the monstrously feminine and things like that so it's like clearly this is August Bait, but I've never actually gotten around to
0: watching it. So not sponsored, but it is on this service called VRV, and it's like 10 bucks a month.
1: Okay, okay.
0: And there's more than anime on there, but let's be honest, that's all I watch on it. Fair. It's also where I found... Um... See, I think this would be right up your alley because it's monster folks, and it's also like really heartfelt. Um, it's called Frankenstein Family.
1: I haven't
0: heard of that one. So in that, there is this mad scientist couple who have a number of children and they experiment on all of them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So I think the eldest is, I don't remember all their names, but the eldest is named Snow and he can turn into a white dog. The twins that were born after him, one of them can manipulate plant life and the other one is spider-esque like she has spider legs coming out of her back but she's also got um these lines at her joints that i think are supposed to symbolize an Mm-hmm.
1: and
0: then the youngest is a super genius and their parents get arrested and they end up at first on their own in this house that they're guardian is letting them stay in and then the guardian shows up. So they first have to figure out can we live in human society by ourselves? And then can we live in human society and also hide that we have all these weird quirks from this adult that lives with us now? And it's really sweet.
1: That sounds that sounds really fun.
0: It's it's really cute. But before I get more distracted talking about <laughs> anime, so in your original email to me, I saw that you are part of four different podcasts. Uh,
1: yeah, so um, one of those podcasts is on hiatus at this point, but my life is essentially knitting uh, World of Warcraft and podcasting. So...
0: That sounds amazing.
1: It, it's not much for, uh, for conversation <laughs> o- outside of a certain subgroup of people because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, how am I going to talk about you know, talk to somebody who doesn't knit about all of this cool knitting stuff that I've been doing recently? Or how am I going to tell this knitter that I know about the cool thing that I did in my WoW raid last night? Um so uh but yes, lots of podcasts.
0: <laughs> I don't play WoW, but my husband has gotten me into Final Fantasy 14 Mm-hmm. Which I think is a similar vibe.
1: I I've been told that it the vibe itself is very different because of the way that both games approach like the in game questing and the mm. in game progression. I have uh I have several friends who've been trying to tempt me into Final Fantasy Fourteen, but like I'm just too deeply invested in World of Warcraft, the the lore of it, no matter how badly it pisses me off. Like <laughs> wow has so many problems from a lore perspective and like from a politics perspective but like i'm deeply invested in a lot of the characters and stuff so
0: yeah that makes sense i kind of have some qualms about some final fantasy stuff in this game in particular because i haven't played many of the past ones for example i decided that i wanted to be a white mage bunny girl like you do Like, you do, and she's great, and I love her. But, while kind of digging into the lore a little bit, I realized that in the realm of Final Fantasy, these bunny people are considered adults at the age of 13. Yeah. Not super great. And then they live for hundreds and hundreds of years, but they don't really age that much. So, the teenage-looking bunny girl that you're talking to could be 13, or she could be 276, and you just don't know. hmm So, there, there's stuff. But, let's, let's talk about your projects a little bit. You said one of them's on hiatus right now.
1: Yes. Um... That one is Equestria Gaze, which is where my now-fiancé and I uh, would talk about My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. We I wondered. <laughs> yeah. Um, we were watching it together, um, but we have kind of switched gears to watching some other stuff together, mm-hmm. uh, so we've put a pause on talking into microphones about uh, colorful cartoon horses. <laughs> but I'm I'm hoping we'll get back to it at some point in the near future, but... That one's on hiatus. The other ones are two actual plays and then another one where we talk about colorful cartoons. Um, Gay Space Rocks is where my friend Brian and I watch Steven Universe together. Uh, Brian's seen all of Steven Universe before and I've only seen a smattering of episodes. And as a queer person on the internet, I have absorbed a certain amount of knowledge. Yep. Um, so... Then we've got uh, Dumb Kids Playing Hero, which actually I just finished recording an episode of uh, right before we hopped on this call. <laughs> um, which is an Animorphs-inspired uh, actual play using a Forged in the Dark system that the DM cooked up. That, so.
0: that sounds so cool. What's Forged in the Dark?
1: So, <laughs> Forged in the Dark is uh, an indie system. It's or er, refers to a, a family of indie games um, that are all hacks of a system called Blades in the Dark, which is uh, a system that allows for, like, episodic play. It's mission-based, but the way that it's structured allows you to to kind of, as players, go in with minimal planning because of the way that it's set up, you can do things called flashbacks, where it's like if something happens and you run into a problem you can do a flashback to go oh, well this is what we did to account for that problem, and uh, so that way you're not spending ten hours planning something mm-hmm. um, you can just go in and fly by the seat of your pants um, I, I've, I feel like I'm explaining it poorly, it's it's just a very good system, and with it's based off of D6s like it accounts for partial successes as well as full successes, but the 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 way it is is on a one to three, it's a failure; on a four to five, it's a partial success, and on a six, it's a full success. And so uh, that that creates a lot of tension because you'll spend a lot of your time rolling failures or only partial successes. Mm-hmm. So it gets very very tense. Um, but uh, it's it's a really cool system and it's very flexible which is why a lot of people have hacked it to do other things like RDM Danielle well not GM because it's not a dungeon right uh, GM Danielle uh, they hacked it to kind of emulate the feel of the Animorphs book series because that's their favorite book series in the whole wide mm-hmm. world um, and so they wanted to be able to emulate that kind of feeling other people have done it uh for kind of like Star Wars inspired space scoundrels uh with scum and villainy there's a uh, beam saber which is gives you a mecha anime feel <laughs> that's cool yeah there's you know and that's just scratching the surface or not even scratching the surface and i forgot to mention idiot teenagers with a death wish is the name of the game we're playing and dumb kids playing hero <laughs> and then uh my baby follow the leader is the podcast that i've devoted the most time to we have been going for almost three years now it's gonna be three years at the end of july it's uh we do uh gm games in a kind of anthology format um, we have some some running uh, storylines but for the most part, it's the kind of thing where you can kind of, like, pop in just about wherever to get started. Uh, a lot of one-shots and standalone stuff, uh, but all using GM-less games.
0: So kind of like I Kissed Mothman Behind the Arby's.
1: Yes, uh, we've done some two-player games like that. One of my favorites is actually, we've done a couple of sessions of a game called Coffee Shop AU. Oh! <laughs> Which is exactly oh, so what it key. sounds like. Um, it's really good. it It's kind of similar to uh forged in the dark because you do have to make die die roll dice rolls at certain points to determine whether or not you actually successfully perform an action that will demonstrably progress your relationship because it's supposed to be a slow burn mm-hmm. So like, when you're about to give the other person your number, you have to roll a uh, roll a certain number of dice, and that determines whether or not you're successful, or whether you get in- interrupted, or whether you chicken out. Mm-hmm. It's very fun.
0: I'm gonna have to look that one up. That sounds great.
1: Yeah, I can, I can give you links.
0: Fear not. Please do. Hey, everybody. This is going to be a bit of a weird situation sound-wise because I am recording in a high school locker room because I'm substituting today. But I wanted to thank you all for listening to The Game is Afoot. I am planning on hammering out those Patreon options over the weekend. So that's patreon.com forward slash TGIA podcast. If you or a friend or really just anyone that you are tangentially acquainted to, are interested in being on the podcast, and are part of the LGBTQIAP plus community, please reach out and let me know. That is at the game a foot Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, so it turns out I only had two ads supplied by August for these two episodes. So we are going to play you a quick ad for Gay Space Rocks, and then our sister podcast on the network sort of symphonies as well after that i'll hop you back into the show thanks if you're a fan of overanalyzing children's media two queer friends having a good time and revolutionary girl Utenna, then you may want to check us out We're the Gay Space Rocks, a Steven Universe-watching podcast where we watch Steven Universe. We go through the show three episodes at a time, pulling out and discussing the themes and ideas presented. We also make a lot of crude jokes. You can catch us every other Wednesday on your podcatcher of choice. See you there. One time on Sword of Symphonies, our captain played an accordion number for a demon as a backing track to the story the demon was telling him.
1: This one time on Sword of Symphonies... There was a rodeo rider on a giant eagle bird thing, and it was rad. She's going to take her jacket and try to put it over the bird's eyes, like create a blindfold.
0: I would once again like to reiterate what could possibly go wrong. This one time on Sword of Symphonies, the crew dug up some buried treasure.
1: No, look at this moss. It's attached to a shovel. Look, I love all three of you, but Tissa is my favorite.
0: <laughs> my favorite part of Sword of Symphonies is the majesty of the spellcasting. Brilliant Carnival.
1: Starlight Stars. Flying Shark. Knife Pin. <laughs>
0: Frizebolt. Bolt. So if you'd like seafaring adventure, a lot of game design talk, music written in-house, and a lot of whatever that was just now, join us every week on Sword of Symphonies.
1: So, games like that, um, other games that are kind of known in in circles, but a lot of stuff that's by smaller creators. One of my favorite things that we've ever done uses a game called You Can Check Out Anytime You Like But You Can Never Leave, which is heavily inspired by the song Hotel California. Mm -hmm. But you can play... You play in a kind of, like, quasi-haunted hotel where you can't escape from it. And there you can play either a guest, a staff member, or an anomaly that, like, haunts the hotel. And it's just... It's a very good game. It's by Marn S. at Survivors on Twitter. And I think it's some of the best stuff that we've ever done. Just a lot of moody horror. Very good. (laughs) But...
0: That makes me think of, have you ever heard of the Jolene game?
1: No, I have not, That, please continue.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, so I love Dolly Parton, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. Dolly Parton's amazing. I'm sending you a link to where there's a a pay to download. Mm -hmm. It's pay what you want, but I'm also sending you the image because that's how I first saw it. And I don't care. Here we go. (laughs) I
1: enjoy the the byline here,
0: yeah, so in Jolene, you are playing in a group, and one person is Jolene, and everyone is trying to convince Jolene not to take their man mm-hmm. and and there are varying levels of difficulty um if you really want to make it hard, you have to do it in song to the tune of Jolene. <laughs> And I've never gotten to play it before, but that game made me think of this game, and now I want to play it again.
1: Oh my goodness, that... Oh, that... I'm gonna... I'm gonna download this. this Do it. This, this It's delightful. So good.
0: Just to give listeners at home a bit of a taste, I'm gonna read you a little bit of the rules. One of you is Jolene you have come to take the men who roam this town away as tribute as workers as food or trinkets or trophies the rest of you have a man to save your man is precious to you with your words you must protect him from jolene when she leaves one man will be left untaken for jolene is as merciful as she is magnificent
1: yeah i'm i'm downloading that right now this is good Second.
0: how long have you been doing these different projects
1: i've been doing follow the leader the longest like i said we'll we'll have our three-year anniversary and at the end of july as far as release goes uh we're actually coming up on our three-year anniversary of starting to record uh in mid-may uh so that's super exciting for me we've been at dumb kids for over a year now I think it was a year in December maybe Brian please forgive me I don't remember how long we've been at Gay Space Rocks um <laughs> even though it should be super easy because we release bi-weekly so I should just be able to take the episode number and divide it by two that's math or multiply it by two and that's the number of weeks we've been doing it but
0: that's math the show's called Gay Space Rocks not yeah. Math Space Rocks
1: yeah, I'm I'm too gay to gate account, so it's fine. <laughs> which is which is weird because I actually did pass my calculus class by the skin of my teeth. Uh so, you know, it's not like I don't understand numbers, but no.
0: I barely passed my college math course, and then to get out of taking another college math course, I took video game design. <laughs> and I also barely passed that class, but in my defense, the final project was to make a game on your own, and nowhere in the instructions did it say, make a game on your own using stuff I didn't teach you. hmm Because <laughs> the professor was just like, all of the components of your game are things we did in class. Yeah.
1: Narrative That's how words. tests works. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Anyway. So you said you'd only seen, like, a handful of Steven Universe episodes? Are you? recording your podcast episodes in order of the show episodes yes
1: we're going by the original intended release order not the actual release order so season one was a bit jumbled up near the end Mm. um and as far as like you know if you were expecting release order we went out of order but basically every two weeks we watch three episodes take notes, come together, and talk about those three episodes uh, generally for a couple of hours because we're both uh, kind of long-winded when it comes to colorful children's cartoons. How far are you in? We're a little ways through season two. We just got... uh, The last episode that we watched was Keystone Motel.
0: Ah. That's a good one.
1: Very good one. It's... uh, it's been good. I've really been enjoying Steven Universe. It's really interesting uh, because the creators very clearly uh, also watched Revolutionary Girl Utena. Oh, yeah. You know, to the tune of, you know, shot for shot recreating scenes from uh, from the show. So.
0: Oh, yeah, I've caught quite a few references and I haven't even watched Revolutionary Girl Utena.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot but it's it's very good you know sometimes it's just fun to see if we can catch all the references but yeah it's it's been really enjoyable it's it's really interesting you know seeing it for the first time myself and and also you know talking about it with someone who's seen it multiple times uh like brian has and you know the way that like our different experiences color how we interpret the uh the show. So,
0: are you going to be including Steven Universe future, or are you going to stop at the end of the straight up Steven Universe?
1: I believe the plan is to do Steven Universe future, but that's also a ways off.
0: Yeah, I had watched a decent chunk of Steven Universe before I got my husband to watch because they were just like, mm, I don't know, I don't really watch a lot of TV. I don't know if I'd be into this. Mm-hmm. And I said it's cute and gay. Sit down.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm. I would also argue, and I, I like Brian jokes about you know in certain episodes being like, yeah, this is going to add fuel to August Fire. But like, I am a proponent of trans amethyst theory. Mm. You know, I know the gems are all actually non-binary women, but. I feel like the way that Amethyst, like, interacts with her body and the way that she views body modification along with, like, the way that, even though it only comes up, like, once or twice, the fact that she has a masculine persona that uses he-him pronouns when none of the other gems do, it's like, I think Amethyst has a case of the genders, too.
0: I can definitely see that. Not only in those episodes where she is, you're referring to the wrestling episodes, right? Yeah,
1: the purple puma.
0: Yes, the purple puma. I think there's also an episode or two where she embodies Greg for a little while.
1: That sounds like it's either terrifying or hilarious or both.
0: I, I think for Steven it was both. <laughs> I could be completely misremembering or making this up, but it feels right. Cartoon Network's been doing really good lately with that kind of stuff. I know that there was a gay couple in Clarence. Um, They were one of the kids' parents. And then Craig of the Creek happened. Have you seen any of that? I have not. Okay. I had only seen it because I was at my parents' and they have cable. And, and we have cable here. But I don't understand how to use my in-laws system, so I just don't watch TV anymore. <laughs> Fair. But Craig of the Creek is about this group of kids that hangs out at the Creek. Um and Craig, the main character, is a black kid in a black family. They're not just shaded a darker color. They have features that are clearly representative of these different African American people. So that's really cool. But it's also that the world in Craig of the Creek is so varied that you're never going to watch two episodes in a row and not find someone new that you didn't expect. Whether that's racially or ethnically, or it's uh, sexuality-wise, there's an episode where there are these girls who are clearly into each other, even if they're not dating, who are, like, upset about the fact that one of them's going off to college and the other one's going to stay in high school. And and their imagination, the kids' imagination in the show, plays in so much with how the world actually works. Mm-hmm. But you've got queer representation, you've got people from a lot of different cultures. Imagination's important, and and I can't imagine a show like that being on when I was a kid. Yeah i i i don't know i just really appreciate it i i don't think cartoon network's been given enough credit for making these strides Mm -hmm. when compared to say disney who had one gay couple in one episode of yeah which what was it that that show with the little girl whose character's name was charlie and i can't remember the title
1: i know what you're talking about but i can't remember the title either and yeah it's... they have
0: that one episode there is backlash. I don't know if it ever aired again
1: yeah and and it's so frustrating because like so like uh, my fiance and I are watching uh Star vs the forces of evil oh and it's, like, yes, Marco is so clearly trans, like there's absolutely no way that that boy is a boy, but you know they they'll never pull the trigger on it, even though it's he's so heavily coded as a trans girl mm. it's wild to me but
0: see i always saw marco more as gender fluid
1: i can see that
0: but still disney's not gonna pull the no. trigger they they did the one thing with that charlie show that i can't friggin' remember mm-hmm. and they hinted at a character in the live action beauty and the beast being gay without actually letting him have any romantic success and yeah i think that's it no that's not true there's a newer show where there was a kid who came out as gay so they're they're getting there but they're like years behind cartoon network
1: yeah, and then like you've got them paying lip service to the gay community with things like Gay Days and stuff like that at their uh, theme parks and it's like there's Rainbow Ears. Be... Yeah, but you know, they're not really actually doing anything. It's just rainbow capitalism. And I say this as somebody who very dearly loves Disney World, but you know, it's it's the the dichotomy of man, love Disney World, hate Disney.
0: Yeah, I I love Oh, I love a lot of Disney. I just wish that they were where they needed to be. And I could say that out of any network, really. But when Disney owns so much of it.
1: Yeah. It's-
0: I'm just saying, if Valkyrie doesn't get a girlfriend, I'm going to riot. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. riot.
1: No, you're valid. Um, Give me just a second. My cat wants out of the room desperately and it showed up on my waveform (laughs) okay i love him dearly but he is very obnoxious sometimes
0: i'm surprised you haven't heard zabi honestly uh she is my corgi in law and she has anxiety and she needs to be medicated oh buddy but she barks at literally everything
1: I think I heard a yip once, but... Oh, you
0: prob- you almost certainly did. There was one time that I was talking to my mother-in-law about something, and I don't remember what it was, but she went, SCORE! And Zabi lost her goddamn mind because she thought Shelly had said squirrel. Oh my god. So, <laughs> I feel you. I get it.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: I'm gonna launch one at you that, um... I didn't expect to ask, and you probably didn't expect me to ask, but if there was one episode of, and let's keep to the shows that are active right now, but one episode of each of your shows that you would recommend to someone to give them hooked, what would it be?
1: For Follow the Leader, that one would be ARC 45, which is episodes 45, no, is it 45? I can't remember which one is that you can check out. Yeah, 45.1 and 45.2, because it's a two-parter. That, Like I said, it's some of my favorite stuff that we've ever done. We also had a special guest, Riley Hopkins, who also does a lot of podcasts and does some indie game design and stuff. Uh, Their stuff's really good. Dumb Kids Playing Hero. That's a, a serial thing, so it's like you can't easily jump in Mm -hmm. but our season 1 finale was really good Um, which let me see if I can find I want to say ah geez unfortunately Uh, The person who manages the Dumb Kids Playing Hero podcast site doesn't have very good notes, but I want to say it's episode 50... Episode 51 Mm -hmm. is where we start the season finale, I think. Gay Space Rocks, I think Brian and I are a riot, like, pretty much all the way through. So... Just pick an episode that has us talking about episodes you like. I think with Equestria Gaze, even though it's on hiatus, I think episode eight is probably the best. We have um, Dirk on, although uh, they went by their dead name at that point. So, uh, But we had our friend Dirk on, and we ended up talking about the My Little Pony's problem with race in that episode i feel Mm -hmm. really proud of the discussion that we had and it kind of embodies like how we can love this show but also how we can criticize the show where it deserves to be criticized
0: yeah those those conversations are really important to have Mm -hmm. august i think i'm going to ask you just one more question and then i'm going to let you go on with the rest of your day or evening as the case (laughs) may be for you If you had one piece of advice to give to a queer person wanting to get into tabletop gaming, what would it be?
1: It doesn't have to be just D&D.
0: That's a good one.
1: I immediately, like, if I were allowed to have more than one sentence, I would immediately be like, there's literally a game called Thirsty Sword Lesbians. You don't have to just play D&D.
0: Oh, I've heard of that one and I need to get oh.
1: my hands on it oh it's so good I just got my hard, uh, my hardcover copy in it's gorgeous uh, it's got such a beautiful finish on the cover um, I got to run a one shot of it for one of our charity streams a while ago and oh my gosh it was so much fun the, the mechanics and the way that it focuses on the characters are just Mwah. it's so good
0: yeah, um, when it comes to playing things other than D&D, I told you the only other thing that I had really played before this show was Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. But Zoe and I played Monster of the Week, which sounds similar to the Forge in Darkness as far as mechanics go. Except instead of 1d6, it's 2d6. Mm-hmm.
1: There's a reason for that. Mm. Because Blades in the Dark actually kind of is a hack of the the powered by the apocalypse games but mm-hmm. it went so far afield that it's its own thing now but it has its roots in powered by the apocalypse
0: oh yeah. gotcha yeah but that game is so much more accessible to a new player than dungeons and dragons and i love dungeons and dragons i i've been playing dungeons and dragons since i was a freshman in high school but it's yeah. not an easy game
1: no, it's it's not. And I mean, I say this as somebody who spent hours and hours and hours with three uh, five just making character sheets just for fun mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I but did that it's, too. It's, it's It's not an easy game to pick up and it can be very crunchy. And if you like crunchy games, if that's your thing, like more power to you. But I really like the narrative first games like the powered by the apocalypse uh, style thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of gm and storytelling games are really where my bag is, you know. But a lot of people with with the stranglehold that, that WotC has on the TTRPG market, I feel like it would be a lot easier for people to play in spaces where they can freely explore, like, their gender identity and sexuality with games that have explicit explicit means to engage with those as far as your character is concerned mm-hmm. if people knew that there was more stuff out there like you know you've got thirsty sword lesbians you've got uh, monster hearts you've got a uh, dreamus hue just three games off the top of my head that like are explicitly meant to engage with the concept of gender and sexuality so it doesn't have to be just D. But if D&D is what you want to play and what you have the most fun doing, it it can just be D&D, too. But it doesn't have to be.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's a good place for us to leave off. August, I want to thank you for joining me today. This is the first time that we've met and we had a great time. Yeah. I kissed Mothman behind the Arby's.
1: Yeah, it was very good. I really enjoyed playing with you.
0: Me too. If we ever decide to have you on again, maybe we'll have to do, like, a sequel movie of these two.
1: Sure. And, you know, there's always the possibility that we steal you for FTL, so, you know. I'm down. Heck
0: yeah. Heck yeah. Alright, everybody. I'm gonna keep this nice and short. That concludes another episode of The Game is Afoot. Make sure that you check out the previous episode of August and me playing I Kiss Mothman Behind the RBs, and I will make sure to link that in the description below as well as the Jolene game that we talked about I'm gonna link that too please do check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash TGIA podcast and again if you or anyone you know even from a brief conversation at Wendy's uh is interested in playing with me and doing an interview and is part of the queer community hit us up at the game is afoot podcast at gmail.com thank you as always to zoe hofland for our theme music and we'll catch you next time thanks again for listening to the game is afoot